podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, here we are in week nine of the Supernatural series, and I've been particularly excited for this night because we're talking about the gift of prophecy. Before you run out the door, um, I just want, I want us to, to, to start with a bit of backdrop on this. So, depending on what you think of when you think of the word prophecy, some of you think of the prophecy mic in church, and you think of somebody coming up and giving a word and, and uh, people responding. Maybe that's your impression of prophecy. Others of you may have a, a different version of it. You may think of um, something more akin to a crystal ball experience. You know, you come up to somebody and say, hey, could you, you know, prophesy over me? And then this person says it. And many of us have been in situations like I have where you've seen people give prophetic words over others and it's been right on the mark and they say something and it just, it's like, wow, how did he know that? There's no way she could have known that. And, uh, and it really seems to be this incredible insight. But for a lot of you, it may seem like a kind of a scary thing. Like, what is, what is this? If I don't desire to do that, I'm just happy to love Jesus. And, and, and once again, why are we talking about this? I mean, can't I just, isn't it enough to, to focus on, you know, the fruit of the Spirit and try to be loving and try to do all this stuff? And why talk about the gifts of the Spirit? I mean, isn't that just sort of the frilly stuff of the Christian faith? And then still, maybe there's others of you that are like, prophecy? You mean that's possible? That's cool. So, like, what's the weather going to be next week? You know, like, when should I, should I, you know, should I, when should I head up to the mountains for my ski trip? You know, when's the fresh powder going to come? And so, there's probably a variety of us that that have different um, perceptions of this word prophecy, or even the idea of spiritual gifts. And I want to remind you, we started this series talking about the supernatural, talking about the fact that. Our God, the God that we believe in, is not a distant God, not a God who stands outside of space and time and says, hey, here's a bunch of rules to follow and good luck with that. No, he's a God that always from the beginning desired and and began to break in. When Adam and Eve sinned, this was the God who called out and said, Adam, where are you? This was a God who was searching for mankind and didn't wait for humanity to begin their search for God. This was a God who is very present even in the midst of our affairs. This is a God who ultimately broke into space and time in the person of Jesus Christ. This is a God who understands that the world is not the way it should be. It's not the way He designed it to be because of our sin, because of our insistence on on living independently of Him. This is a God who knows that the future, what's coming, the future that He's prepared for us is much better than what is. And because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all of history turned on a hinge, turns on that moment, turns on that, that uh, moment in history where Jesus entered and said, look, the kingdom of God has now begun. It's come. And as Jesus commissioned his disciples, and all of us now carry this on, we are agents of that same invasion. So, well, that's kind of cool. Agents of an invasion. Like, can I get that in a Christian t-shirt? Please? You know, what, what do we do with that? What does that mean? What that means is that you and I, God's plan for you and I is to be, as the church, to be the carriers of his kingdom rule wherever we go. 
Part of that means that the way that we work in our jobs looks different. The way that we think about um, trade looks different. The way we think about justice issues is different. The way that we think about what's exploitation and what's not is different. The way that we think about loving one another is different. The way that we think about the, the poor and the needy is different. Everything that we're trying to do, we're trying to anticipate the day that the kingdom comes in its fullness and we're trying to live that out here as the church on earth. And that's why we're talking about the spiritual gifts, not as sort of this you know, weird, weird, you know, X-Men sort of thing. Hey, what's your ability? What's your ability? Well, cool, what can you do? You know, do you have, can you shoot like fire out of your eyes? Can you, you know, what's your secret power? You know, that's not what this is about. And, and we, have to, I, I, we have to work hard to uh, avoid getting into that mentality because as Americans, as Westerners, our uh, whole approach to Jesus is, is highly, highly individualized. Our pitch to get saved is, hey, come to Jesus, he'll make you different. I've heard many churches even even use the phrase, okay, look, you can discover who you're supposed to be if you come to Jesus. And while there is truth to that, it can be misleading because it can make a person think that God is all about you too. And that all of a sudden Christianity is just a spiritual version of self-discovery. And then all of a sudden, it's discovering your spiritual gifts is just another way to discover myself. But that is not the goal. Spiritual gifts is not so that we can have some kind of uh, Christian-sounding self-discovery course, and we can pat ourselves on the back and, and talk about you know, what gifts we have as if it was a personality type or some kind of category or whatever, or a love language. Or, you know. That's not the goal of this subject. The goal of this is so that we can carry on the mission of Christ on the earth. In fact, our little working definition that we've been working with is this, that a spiritual gift is the Holy Spirit at work in us in a particular way to continue the work of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit at work in us in a particular way to continue the work of Christ. And last week I was talking with a guy after the service and he, and he, and he helped me see something that I really want to make clear. I don't want us for a moment to think that a spiritual gift is sort of just this con- continuation of our own excellence and of our own talents or abilities. I think bef- in order for the Holy Spirit to begin to work in us, it requires a moment where we say, God, I can't. It requires that we come to this place, uh, a cross moment in our life, a moment of the cross where we say, Jesus, I cannot do this. I give up. Let your grace work in me. And so then when the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, it, it can take a couple of forms. Sometimes it can be that he, he takes our natural giftings and all of a sudden poof, enhances it and makes it beyond what we could, it could ever have been on its own. Other times a spiritual gift shows up as something that nobody would have expected. What? What happened to her? What happened to him? How come all of a sudden he's doing this or she's doing it? It just all of a sudden started to surface. But, but last week we read this verse where Paul was talking about, he said, look, each one has been given gifts according to the grace of God on his life. And it's a little play on words in Romans 12 because the word for spiritual gifts that Paul uses is the word charismata. The word for grace is simply the word charis. And so Paul is saying, look, the same grace that began your walk with Christ is the same grace that shows up in you in these gifts. Does that make sense? 
It's all part of the same story. We come to Christ and we say, well, I need your grace. But, but again, we tend to compartmentalize it. Like, okay, well, good. Now I've, I'm justified. I'm all clean from sin. This is great. Everything else is sort of optional. But the way that Paul talks about it is, look, if that grace continues to work in you, it's, it'll show up in some of these gifts inside of our hearts and our lives. Does that make sense? And so if last week's list, you know, exhortation, leadership, mercy, giving, if last week's gifts were the ones that we kind of, you know, we, we, don't, we don't think of as charismatic, but we, we, we talked about how all the gifts are charismatic, they're all gifts of God. Today's one is the one that maybe some of you have been like, yes, I've been waiting to talk about this one. One more thing. A spiritual gift, this is, I love this quote from N.C. Wright, a spiritual gift is God's gift to the whole church through the individual who has received it. So this verse here that, that is our text, and we heard it from the New Testament reading, let me read it again to you in the NIV. 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now at first blush, this sounds like it's running against everything that we've talked about. Because you, you remember, each week we sort of have said, look, hasn't Paul been emphasizing that all the gifts are important and that they're all diverse and that they're all gifts of the Spirit and we ought not have this. You know, even last week we read the verse where he says, don't think too highly of yourself. Now all of a sudden, what? Paul, are you going back on this? Because it doesn't it sound like Paul's saying, well, this one is better than all the others. And at first blush, it sort of seems like it's contradictory because we're told that we're not supposed to think too highly of ourselves. But if prophecy is better or the greater, the one who prophesies is greater, then how, how can you not think too highly of yourself? If, if Josh over here prophesies and I don't, he would say, well, Paul says it's great. The one who prophesies is greater. I mean, I didn't say that, but Paul said, yeah. So what's he, is, is, this, is this a contradiction here? The way that Paul has set up this letter is very interesting because he's writing to the church in Corinth and he talked about how this is a city of immigrants and everybody was sort of this, everyone that had any status had earned it for themselves. And so a people that maybe kind of took pride in what they had achieved and what they had accomplished and so in, in chapter 12, Paul sets it up by saying, look, there's a diversity of gifts. Remember, we're all members of one body, and we, you know, this, this part can't function without this part, and this part can't function without this. So he's, he's talking to them about the diversity of the gifts. And then in chapter 13, he says, remember that love is the reason we do any of this, right? This is the thing that, that, that motivates us and drives us. And then when he gets to 14, he's specifically talking about their public gatherings, in other words, you can't take these verses from chapter 14 and say, aha, carte blanche, Paul is saying prophecy is the best gift ever and I've got it. <laughs> and you don't. You know? Paul is talking in, in, in chapter 14 specifically about their public gathering. And basically what he's done in these few verses and really throughout chapter 14 is he kind of lays out two criteria 
He says, okay, look, if you're going to figure out which gifts are the ones that you ought to try to prioritize when you gather together, because you're gathering together and each of you is off in his own world in some ecstatic utterance of of tongues and you're really loving that. But listen, let me give you some rules about when you get together. And his two, the, the two things that form a grid for Paul is, number one, is it intelligible? Can people understand it? And number two, is it orderly? And if you read the entire chapter of 14, you can see Paul is setting this up as the criteria. So he's not saying prophecy is the best gift and you've you've got it good for you and if you don't, hate it for you. He's saying, look, if we're talking about the gift that makes sense, that's best, that works best in the public setting, it's this one because it helps us to be, it's intelligible, it's understandable, and it's orderly. And and, and maybe, maybe the analogy for this is imagine that you bought you know a piece of land somewhere and you hired a, a contractor and you're going to start building a house and and uh, you, you know you're on the phone with the guy say how's it going how's the you know how's it going building my house and, oh it's going great you know we've got the crew uh, in fact everybody's just going to come and start and they're going to just come and 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 work on building the house all at the same time and maybe you don't know much about construction but you know enough to know that that sounds funny and you go one day and you see and you and the framers are in one corner and they've got their two by fours and they're building the structure and it's starting to look kind of like a house. But then to your horror, you look over here and the drywall guys have got pieces of sheetrock leaned up against each other like a, like a house of cards and they're making their own house with sheetrock kind of leaning on each other and you're thinking, that's weird. And then you look around you and there's the tile guy and he's doing the same thing with tile. He's got 12 inch tile and he's building a little house with tile. You think, this is, no. And then you look, and there's the plumber, and he's got all of his tubes, and, and he's building a little house structure. And you're like, this is not the goal. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Is he says, look, when you're coming together, you're building one house of worship. You're not here to kind of build your own private houses. When you gather together, you're building one house, the house of God, the house of worship. So what gifts best do that? Prophecy does that in a remarkable way. And so the goal here is, is it wrong to kind of edify yourself? No, there's, a, there's gifts that edify yourself. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about tongues. Um, mark it down two weeks from now. But tonight when we talk about prophecy, this is one of those gifts that Paul is saying, look, the reason this works best is because when you gather together, we're trying to build one house. Does that make sense? Okay. And so, and so what is it? What is prophecy? There's two dimensions of this, and I think the first one we kind of get, and the second one might require a bit, uh, a bit more unpacking. Tonight's going to be, by the way, a little more t- teacherish, uh, teachy. So if you want to write, write down notes and take down notes, you can do that tonight. Tonight probably won't be one of those nights where you leave and you say, I know, he talked about this, you know. Just fair warning, okay? Uh, buyer beware. Disclaimer. The first aspect of what prophecy is, is this, it is the Spirit of God speaking through you to others on behalf of Jesus. Where the Spirit of God says, okay, listen, uh, you know, Leonard, I'm giving you a word for so-and-so, and would you speak to them on behalf of Jesus? And this is, a lot of us have heard this, maybe you've had the experience of this, where someone says, you know, I just feel like the Lord is maybe saying this to you, and, and the other person says, oh my goodness, how did you know that? And, and, and it, it ends up really encouraging them, and it becomes a remarkable thing. Another way to say it is, 
It's the activity through which particular words are given to particular individuals or groups by people speaking in church, claiming that the Spirit is leading them to say such things, or that Jesus himself is speaking those words. Now, Paul, incidentally, used prophecy that way. There are a number of occasions where he had visions and had words and, and, and said, I, the Lord is saying this. In, in fact, early on, after his Damascus Road experience, he has this vision that a man named Ananias is going to come and, and talk to him. And Ananias has the same vision, saying, you're supposed to go meet this guy named Saul. And so they meet one another, and they've already been introduced to one another by God. And then they finally meet each other, and they're like, hey, you're Saul? Yep, you're Ananias? Yes? Okay, you know. God told me about you. God told me about you. I mean, could you imagine this moment? They sort of have this, this remarkable moment. There's another time later as, as Saul changes his name to Paul and, and really starts doing his ministry. He gets this vision of a man from Macedonia pleading, begging for him to come and preach to them. It's in Acts 16. And, and, and so Paul feels like, okay, God is speaking to me about these people. And so I need to go do that. Uh, later on in Acts 18, Paul gets another vision from God that tells him, keep on preaching, even though there's adversity, and even though there's uh, things that aren't go- seeming to be right. This sort of prophecy, if, if you were to kind of, you know, if you're kind of, uh, you like to cluster similar ideas, and you like to do little diagramming things on a piece of paper or whatever, you, you might take that list in 1 Corinthians 12 and say, you know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge prophecy, they all sort of belong in the same family. It's sort of this special insight into a situation, and you feel like God is telling you something about them. Now, at some point tonight, I'll talk about how to do that and, and, and how we submit that to the other person, and we don't sort of force it on them and say, no, I know this is God. And they're like, no, I, I really you know, you know, don't think so, or you know, this could get really awkward. You know, I, I went to a um, very charismatic university uh, where the students were very eager to practice this, but they were eager to practice this in their dating relationships, you know. And so it was, uh, it was uh, hey, um, the Lord told me that you're supposed to marry me. I mean, no joke. People would, you know, not, not like it was commonplace, but there were, we, there were a few stories of people doing that. And the girl would say, yeah, well, he hasn't told me that. See ya, you know. And, uh, and th- so this stuff can get weird, and we've got to be careful. And I, I'll get to explaining and unpacking how we use this in a moment. For now, let's just get a picture of what it is. So that's one dimension. The second dimension of prophecy is maybe one that that, that you've not heard before, and it's this. The special ability to understand what the Bible is saying and apply it to fresh hearers. Now, uh, to be honest with you, as I was studying this this week... I thought, well, this sounds fun. I mean, that sounds like teaching. The special ability to understand the Bible and apply it to fresh... I mean, that doesn't sound like prophecy. That sounds like... Why is this kind of thing called prophecy? Why is this an aspect of prophecy? Let me read you from a couple different um, uh, phrases from, from some other sources of commentaries that I was looking at this week. It's also described as the ability to give insights into and to convey the deeper meanings of God's redemptive program in His Word. Or God-given wisdom, understanding, insight, teaching that the church needs if it is to move forward and be built up. And still it sort of sounds like, well, isn't this kind of like saying that you're a good teacher? I mean, wow, how is that prophecy? But in order to explain that, I, I need to talk to you a little bit about a puzzle. There was a, a, a big um, 
report done a few years ago as they were talking about national defense and national security. And they were talking about the different complex problems and different ways to view it. And they came up with this terminology and they said, we've got to distinguish between what's a puzzle and what's a mystery. And so in, in, in this particular study, the language that they used was a puzzle is something where you don't have the right piece. You're just missing a piece of information, and if you had that piece, then you could solve it. An example of that is to capture Osama bin Laden. Like, oh, we want to capture him, okay, but it might be a puzzle because we're missing a bit of information about where he is. Okay, so if we had that bit of information, we'd solve that puzzle. Does that make sense? Okay. A mystery, on the other hand, by this study's kind of language, which I think is helpful for us, a mystery is, now all the pieces are there, we just don't know how to put them together. A mystery would be saying, here, and, I, and me saying, but, but I don't, what do I do with all that? So a puzzle says we're missing a little bit of data, we're missing a little bit of information. Once we have that, we can solve it. And a mystery says, I think we've got all the data, we just need to be able to look at this all together. When Paul in the New Testament talks about mystery, and he talks about the mysteries of God that have been revealed to him, the way that he's using that word is different than you might suspect. He's not describing a mystery in terms of, ooh, something we don't understand, and something deep and dark, and I don't know, and it's a mystery. When Paul uses the word mystery, he's specifically talking about something that in the Old Testament they didn't understand, but that now through Christ, through him and all the other apostles and New Testament prophets, they now understand. Let me read you Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verse 2 through 6 is maybe one of the plainest ways Paul says it. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Three words I want you to pay attention to. Prophecy, in, in one aspect of it, is a revealing of a mystery. And so that word revelation and mystery is important. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed. Here Paul is saying, look, it was this mystery that was kind of hidden from previous generations, but now with me and the boys, we get it. Me and the apostles, not just, you know, whatever. Been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. He's not talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah prophets. He's talking about them, the New Testament prophets. And he's saying, this mystery has now been revealed. We kind of get it now. Prophecy is a sort of revealing of an old mystery. And what is it? Verse 6, he spells it out. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You're saying, what in the world are we talking about? What Paul is saying is, look, everybody in the Old Testament thought that it was all about Israel and God restoring Israel, and God restoring Israel, and God doing this with Israel. What they didn't get was that one day, Jew and Gentile were going to be together called the people of God. And that happened because of Jesus Christ. The Paul is saying, look, we've got all the pieces now. Jesus has arrived. We've got the prophecies from Isaiah. We've got all this stuff. We've got all this information. But now the mystery of it, now I see it. Now it makes sense. Don't you get it? That the people of God now is everyone who comes to Christ, that in Christ we are one 
people. Romans 16, he says it again. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations must believe and obey him. This link between prophecy and a mystery that is now revealed shows up a couple times in Corinthians, in his letter to Corinthians. To Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, he says, If I have the gift of prophecies and can fathom all, what? Mysteries. There it is. He's linking prophecy with the understanding, the unveiling of mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith, move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? He's putting this kind of prophecy in a different bag. Does that make sense? The one kind of prophecy we put in the bag with word of wisdom, word of, this kind of prophecy now we put in the bag of teaching, knowledge, instruction. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden, there is a kind of prophecy that is us speaking on behalf of Jesus, but there's another kind of prophecy that is us speaking to illuminate Jesus. Does that, does that make sense? You see that? Okay. Okay. So having set that up, here are a few, I think, myths or maybe misconceptions about prophecy. One is that Prophecy provides new revelation about God. Sometimes I think we're just lazy with our language, but people say this, you know, well, the Spirit of God revealed this to me, and I, I now see this, you know, and we too want to write like Paul did to the Ephesians. We want to say this too. This has been hidden in ages past, but now has been revealed to me. And I know that would feel really nice, but it's just not true. That was revealed to Paul and the early apostles and prophets because no one before that had seen God's plan through Jesus. Does that make sense? But now, so when, once they say it, there's no more new revelation we're going to get. Uh, but I think when people say that, what they really mean is the word illumination. Oh, I see Jesus in Scripture now like I've never seen Him before. That's a better way to say it. Rather than, well, I never understood this, but the Holy Spirit gave me a new revelation. Be careful or, or be afraid when someone says they have a new revelation. Because it, there is one revelation, it's the story of Jesus. And when we have, you know, so, so that's I think a myth number one. That when, when, when Paul says in Romans 12, he says, if it's prophecy, let him prophesy according to his faith. Some people have said, well, well that word faith, that just means that, well, if you have enough faith, then you can prophesy lots. And if you've got tiny faith, you, you prophesy a little bit. Well, a more likely, the, the, the trick is that Greek word faith can be taken to mean the act of believing or it can be taken to mean the things you believe. So on the one hand, you could say, well, let him prophesy according to his faith means if you have lots of it, then prophesy. Or you could say, let him prophesy according to the faith that he believes, i.e., the rule of faith, which became a phrase that the early apostles used for a few hundred, first few centuries, the rule of faith. Judge everything by the rule of faith. Does this measure up with what we believe about Jesus? If someone says, I have a new revelation that's been revealed to me by prophecy, and you say, but you know what? That does not fit the rule of faith. That doesn't really fit in with the picture of Jesus as revealed by the apostles. You should question that. You should test that. Just because someone says they got it prophetically revealed to them doesn't mean that it's true. All kinds of people have said that God showed up and spoke to them and stuff, and you're saying, well, that, that, that doesn't fit the rule of faith. 
second myth about prophecy is that prophecy has to be spontaneous in order to be spirit-led. That all of a sudden has to be, it just came on me. And, I, and, and often it does. It does sort of work like a little you know, indigestive burp or something. I mean, it is, it is a little bit spontaneous. But I think there are many moments where the Lord speaks to us through our own study and, and reading and all of a sudden, as we're reading the scripture, something comes to us, and it's in your heart. Have you ever had the mo- that moment where you're, you've been, you know, you, you, in your devotions that morning, and something jumped up at you, and you journaled it, and then later at lunch, you were talking with a friend, and they mentioned something, and you're like, you know, I just read something about that, and you share that with them? That's moving in pro- prophecy. So uh, l- let's take this out of the, the weirdness realm, okay? There's a lot more that counts as being prophetic, speaking with the Spirit of God inspiring you than just what we may have thought. The third myth that I want to just cover tonight, and then we'll start wrapping this up, is that prophecy happens exactly like it did in the Old Testament, or exactly like it did with Old Testament prophets. So there are people who love the stories of, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and them, you know, running dramatically, you know, like one of them laying on his side for seven years or whatever it is, you know, to prove a point, then laying on his other side, or the other, was it Isaiah that walked around naked for a few years? I really don't recommend that, you know, and he's, and they're doing these dramatic signs, and I think, I think sometimes we think, well, to be prophetic means to be strange, and it means to sort of do these like dramatic symbols, and, and maybe I ought to, you know, like, I don't know, maybe as a prophetic sign, I will throw, uh, you know, empty out my food tray at Qdoba this week as a prophetic sign, you know, and like we want to do these things that are like, because we imagine ourselves to be Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but Old Testament prophecy is quite a bit different than New Testament prophecy for one very big reason. We have the Holy Spirit. In those days, and we read the Old Testament reading for tonight, we read that verse where it said Moses was sort of anticipating this day and saying, look, I wish the Spirit of God would come and descend on all people so they could prophesy and speak on behalf of God. Well, you know what? We're there. Peter stood up and said on the day of Pentecost, he said, look, remember that this is that which the prophet Joel spoke about, where your young men should dream, uh, have, have dreams and your young women visions and something like that, and they'll prophesy and all this stuff. He's saying, look, here it is. We're, we're here. There's a great quote from Flannery O'Connor about, about, that I think would help us understand the Old Testament prophets. When you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs as you do, you can relax a little and use more normal means of talking to them. But when you have to assume that it does not, that your audience does not share your beliefs, then you have to, om- to make your vision apparent by shock. To the heart of hearing, you shout. For the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. I think that's what the Old Testament prophets were doing to a nation that was hard-hearted and going almost blind spiritually. They had to sh- do these dramatic things and, you know, hey, look, 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 I'm walking around naked. It's supposed to tell you something, you know. Like, I don't know what that's supposed to tell me. But, but it's different today because of two reasons. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the Scripture, the written Word. And so now when we claim to move in the prophetic, our approach is a little bit different. Back then, you would say something and they would say, well, you're a prophet, so you're speaking from God, so if I reject you, I might be rejecting God, and I don't know what you It's different now. So let me give you two practical things. If you are moving in prophecy type one, 
you know, the speaking on behalf of Jesus prophecy, a good idea is to share what you felt and then leave it with them to make a decision about it. Say, you know what, I just had this sense that the Lord just kind of told me that whatever you've been thinking about doing, don't do it. You know, that's vague, thanks. You know. But, but you know what, I don't really know what that means specifically, so you do what you want to do with that. A great example of it is in Acts 21, I think, when Paul is trying to go to Jerusalem and Agabus the prophet comes and he takes his belt and he ties himself up and he says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you up, they're going to capture you. And Paul says, yeah, well, I'm ready to be a prisoner and even to die. Agabus doesn't say, Paul, no, the Lord says you should not go. He just says, Paul, I see that you're going to get bound if you go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, thank you, I received that word, and I am going to go ahead and get bound. Okay, so, so when you're sharing prophecy type one, that you try to speak on behalf of Jesus, submit that to the Spirit of God at work in that person. Say, look, I'm just sensing this, you do what you want with that, here it is. If you're moving in prophecy type two, as in the Lord is revealing, things, revealing Christ through the scriptures to you, I think the helpful tool for us is be a student of the scriptures. Because it's not enough to say, well, I'm just sitting by the fire and letting the Holy Ghost tell me what the Bible means. Okay? You could, you, that may work out, or it may not. But the Bible's distant from us in quite a number of ways in terms of culture and language. and It's not unspiritual to say, you know, I'm going to find out what the background was for this book. You know, I'm going I'm to dig into what, what, what was going on when Paul was writing. That's not unspiritual. That, I think, is working at your gift. To, to end this tonight, what, how do we use it? How do we use prophecy? Like, what, what is, how does it show up? Or what's the purpose of it? What's the point? In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul uses these three words, edify, encourage, comfort. Think through situations where you could see this. Edify literally means to build, as in to build a house. Hence the house example I used earlier. Can I say, what can I say? What can I share with my small group? Or what can I share in this setting of friends? What can I say that's actually going to build them up? Secondly, he says, let it encourage. The word parakalesis is so similar to the word paraclete which Jesus uses about the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside. I love that, isn't it? Can you be prophetic in a way that comes alongside somebody? See, I think, I think there's a part of prophecy where you see somebody who's down, who's going through something, and you're able to come alongside them and say, man, I'm so sorry. I just want you to know I'm with you, and I just want to tell you that I feel like the Lord is still with you. Did you know that that's a way of being prophetic? That you can move in the gift of prophecy by using that to encourage them, come alongside. Thirdly, the word comfort. The Greek paramythia literally means speaking close to somebody, as in to speak quietly because you're right next to them. I love that. Because I think, I, I've grown up too, you know, thinking about prophecy as la- the opposite of speaking closely <laughs> to someone. It's speaking loudly for the whole church to hear. Thus saith the Lord. Will I not rend the heavens? You know, it's like King James kicks in, you know, all of a sudden. But there's a kind of prophecy that is speaking comfort 
saying, you know what? God hasn't left you. Like what James prayed tonight, God, or Matthew prayed, you haven't left us, you don't forsake us, you know? That's, be, that's speaking prophetically. Speaking the words of comfort to us. I think more of us can engage in this than we thought. I think more of us can use this gift to build up one another than we thought. And you know what's remarkable is even though we've been focusing on 1 Corinthians 14, which is all about the church service, prophecy in the New Testament shows up outside the church. The story that I want to close with is in Acts 27. This is Paul on the ship. It says, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. We know what's coming. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight in an attempt to escape the ship. The sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were getting to low, going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. How did Paul know that? Word of wisdom, a kind of speaking on behalf of Jesus, a kind of prophecy. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. I love that word. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. And then he says, not one of you will lose a single hair from your head, which is a poetic way of saying, you're not going to die. How does Paul know? I mean, is this just like a Paul being cute? We're going to make it. Are you crazy? It's the middle of the night. We haven't eaten. We're going to hit the rocks. It's Titanic in the first century. I think Paul is speaking prophetically. He says, not one of you is going to die. After he had said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. Look at what it says. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. I think this is a beautiful example of Paul using the gift of prophecy, type one, in, the, in an atmosphere outside of the church, he, and the result is that people are encouraged. Now, you can't fabricate this. You, know, you can't be in like traffic with your carpool on I-25 and be like, I, I just think the Lord says this is going to open up right now. And then it does, and you're like, by open up, I meant we should open up, you know, whatever you're trying to get out of it. You know. <laughs> you, you, we don't want to try to fabricate this, but what I'm saying is that there are lots of moments where we can f- move in this, even beyond the church gathering. So there's concerns sometimes, well, what about a prophecy, Mike, and can we have prophetic words in church services? I would suggest to you that the, pro- the kind of prophecy that occurs in our gatherings occurs right now, that this is type two prophecy, opening up the scriptures and hope, letting the Spirit of God apply it to your hearts and your lives. So, so there was prophecy every week at New Life. As Pastor Brady, as hopefully me, as, as we open up the scriptures. So that we don't get this weird narrow box that we're thinking through. Well, unless it looks like this, it's not prophecy. It's not true. In fact, you could suggest that 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is saying, do the kind of prophecy that helps people learn 
and grow and gain knowledge. And then maybe this special speaking on behalf of Jesus' prophecy. Try to practice that even outside the church. Try to practice that in your one-on-one settings, in your small groups, in your lunches with your friends. And say, Lord, I mean, what a great thing to pray. What, what if this week you pray, Lord, you know, over all your appointments, or you, Lord, would you give me a special um, insight into what's happening with this person I'm about to meet with? And, 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 you know, don't sit down and say, hey, before grace, I just have a thus saith what you Hey, I just, how are you doing? And maybe it can speak a word that builds up. Maybe it speaks a word that encourages, that lets them feel like you've come alongside them. Maybe you're just speaking a word of comfort. But all of that is a kind of prophecy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of Jesus, the thing that was a mystery is no longer a mystery. We see it now. You mean to make for yourself a people, a people from every nation that belongs to you, called by your name. We want to be that people. And Lord, we're probably all at different places in this. We're probably all in different um, readinesses of um, being willing to be used like this. But God, would you help us? be willing to take some risks maybe and share things so that we can encourage one another so that we can edify build up one another so that we can comfort one another so that when we gather together whether in groups or homes or here on Sunday nights we can all know that we're building one house a house that worships you thank you Lord come Holy Spirit have your way with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday night.